Welcome to the Bad Ready Podcast. My name is Aaron McManus, and I'm here with my dad, Erwin Raphael McManus. It's so good to be here with you today. It's so good to be here. I decided today I'm going to try to match your energy. I Oh, g- please, please don't do that. Because I, I watch a podcast sometimes, and I realize yeah. how much energy you bring, and I'm like a sleepy river. <laughs> you are kind of, you're like a lazy river. You got your inner tube, you got your snacks, and you're just kicking back, letting you go in circles. All right, so I, I, don't, want, I don't want to be lazy river. <laughs> I want to be white water. <laughs> Okay. Rapids. Okay. I think I'm just like a waterfall. <laughs> fire hydrant. Always going off the edge. I think, I think you're a fire hydrant. Fire hydrant. <laughs> you're born in the city. <laughs> okay. So we have some things to talk about. I mean, where do you want to go to into first? Because I could go personal. We could go political. We could go um, faith. Talk about God. Which, which one do you want to go do first? Okay, I'm going to do a, a global survey. Brooke, where should we start? Faith. I'm going to start with personal. Because <laughs> I have some things I want to get off my chest. All right. So in the last month, I feel like I've been going through it. I, I get hit in my car. Car's in the shop for six weeks. Then I borrow my mom's car. <laughs> Like any good son. You park it in a really, really quiet I parked it quiet so street. far away from my friend's house on a quiet street, and some kid nails only my car, pops the wheel off the axle, car's totaled. I think it's totaled. But you heard the car accident without even realizing a block away. I was with Eric in his back patio, and we hear this. Can I hit the table? You said I couldn't hit All right, the, go ahead. Hit the table. <laughs> this loud, like... So much louder than that. Eric goes... By the way, when he says Eric, he means Eric Roy, who's one of our... Good friends. Um, family. And he goes, ha, huh, wouldn't that be funny if, like, that was your car? And I said, yes, except for I parked in the neighborhood, not on the... On, he lives kind of on a major street corner. Mm-hmm. I parked in the neighborhood. I went out of my way. I go when I'm leaving 30 minutes later. This is around midnight. I walk around the corner, and all I see is the car, like our car, your car off the curb, onto the curb, wheel popped off, axle dropped, the whole front, ca- like, no damage except yeah. for, like, the wheel, like, rim well, it area. It looked like the axle was going in one direction and the car was going in the other direction. It, it lo- <laughs> the neighbors thought I was a drunk driver. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there, I call Eric, and I'm like, I, no one's going to believe I wasn't in this car. So you, you go over there, and then some guy who lives there accused Excuse you me. of being yeah. the guy who hit the other car <laughs> yeah he because <laughs> there was a car in front of you that also got hit yeah so it hits so like car is we should pl- can we play this video on here car is going straight 20 miles an hour not even that fast my car's parked on the curb boom just all of a sudden it was three young guys like 20 and then, he, and then he hits a car in front of him and then he hits and runs and then he hits yeah hits mine and then slides in the car in front of me which only like a driveway away and just hits hits the gas and goes so me and Eric are a little kind of type A crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're like in shorts and hoodies. This is July 3rd. There's fireworks popping. Like, we're a few miles away from you. So I call you. I'm like, hey, I am. I have terrible news. Everyone's safe. I'm fine. But your car has been like probably totaled. And I was too afraid to go to the car because there's like people like looking in, like around it. And I was like, they're going to think I'm a drunk driver. And I've just been with Eric and his daughter for the last like three hours hanging out. So I, I call Eric, please come here. Um, I need, I'm going to need you to like help me in this situation. And 
we go up, we, we talk to everyone. There was like a really awesome older Korean guy with like a young daughter and like they can't talk to us. And he's like, hey, I think I might have security footage. And then there was also like the crazy neighbor who was like a younger guy and was just, I don't know if he, he was not normal. Cause he's like, he has he brought out this, he brought out this LED light and he's like, look inside my car. And I was like, hey bro, what are you doing in my car? And he's like, hey bro, why is your car on my lawn? And I was like, hey man, you're about a buck 20 and you're five foot five, and my six four Korean friend's about to come out here. And also, I wasn't in the car! <laughs> you're the victim. I'm the victim! <laughs> and it wasn't even on his yard, it was on no, your, it was <laughs> public property. <laughs> his house was, it was like away. So the, 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 our, our Korean friend brings out the security footage, and it's like very clear, obviously I'm not in the car. Some other person hit me. We see that it's like a black sedan, lower to the ground, looks newer. But this time you call me. I, I call it, I've called I, you were my first over. call. Yeah, okay. You are my first call always. <laughs> and then and then I call Eric to come out. So me and Eric are trying to figure this out. The police come. We talked to all the neighbors, gave everybody's numbers. The police finally show up, LAPD, by himself. I felt kind of bad. I'm like, mm -hmm. you're by himself, really, really awesome young guy. And he goes, sorry, like, sorry, bro. Like, I don't like there's nothing, you know, nothing we can do. But if if for some reason you see this car, or you think you see this car, like let us know, call us. You know, so everyone's gone inside, police leave, and me and Eric decide to go on a little mission. I said, I don't know if, I don't know how this car would get away, like how hard it hit us. So we do a little lap around the block. Crazy thing is, Eric lives on one side of the street, my other friend lives on the other side. So we're kind of texting everybody, driving around the block, and I see this blacked out Mercedes GLC 300, and I'm like, why is that parked on the street in this neighborhood? It's the truth. Kind of in the, you know, you know, um, we're in the suburbs. Yeah, but you and, also follow the tire tracks, the tire well, tracks all. Yeah. So long story <laughs> short, we see the car. We're like, there's people in that car and the, it's blacked out and they're on the back seat. Like, this is weird. Um, so Eric goes back, sees the tire tracks and it leads to where this black GOC is parked. Oh, so you had seen the car before you actually realized there were tire tracks. Yes. And I was like, bro, I think that could it. be it. <laughs> And so, so when Eric, like, you guys are Sherlock and Watson, Sherlock Holmes. I'll, I'll let Eric be Sherlock in this story. Um, so a tow truck shows up, and by this time, he Eric had dropped me off. I live not far from here, and I call you, and we're like, we're going back. So you pick me up. We go back. He found the tire marks. We follow it to the GOC. He gets out of his car, sees that the whole front end of it is just messed up. The tires popped, and he's like, and there's three dudes in the back. So we call the cops. They're like, what do you want us to do? And we're like, we want you to do cop stuff with the car. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do I mean? I did think it was odd that the police officer kept coming and to asking us for advice, what we wanted him to do. I thought, you're like the person in authority. You have the badge and the gun and the gun <laughs> and the uniform. And you should be telling us what you're going to do next. Yes. So he says, what would you like me to ask him? And I said, this is what I'd like you to ask him. I'd like <laughs> you to tell him this. We have him on surveillance on a camera. Please give us your insurance and I won't press charges. All right. Great. Be right back. Goes, <laughs> does it. Then all of a sudden things escalate. He, this kid's in cuffs. Because they, cause they realize it's this guy. He admitted to it. But the first guy got out of the car, got a skateboard, oh! stood next to the cops while the light was going to change, and then skateboarded off, and the cops didn't even stop the him. Cop they, goes, they, they the, even... Co the cop goes, who else is in there? And he goes, two other guys, and just skates off. 
He waited at the light and skated off. You can tell he was nervous, wondering nervous. if the cops were going to stop him, but he just kept going. I don't really understand how this works. So I have it on film. And I, at this point, it's just, like, comical. So, And I did mean it. So the cop, you know, I think it, at this point it became really suspect. Like, are they drinking? Are they on sure. drugs? Whatever. And I, I said, hey, it's only me. If they give me insurance and they have insurance, no charges. I will not press charges. Like, let insurance deal with it. I don't want to put anyone to jail. Especially, like, a young guy from L.A. That's not my thing. Um, he wasn't drinking. He, he was super compliant. But then why did he crash into two cars? I do. If you see the video, it's crazy. It's like, I don't, maybe they were, just like, messing around. You know what's know. odd, too? I think what? he was 23. Yeah. His license was dated your birthday. My birthday. July 9th. And this is when we should have known things were not going to go well. <laughs> and it was right before your birthday. Right before my birthday. And I had like... So then, <laughs> for the July happens, right? And the, the week of 4th of July was complicated because I was in a, a complicated thing. And, 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 and I, I released... An, it, this is, this is, I'm trying to handle this carefully. We did a podcast about me not wanting to date. And someone I love dearly said that really hurt them. And because they, they cared about me. Yeah, they thought you guys might dating. be dating. And it's not that we weren't dating, but I was like, I'm not ready to be in a relationship. And with that, it was very friendly. We were friendly. What we you were. meant is you're not ready to be so serious to be married right now. Right. And, and then they were really honest with me and open with me. And we've been friends for five years. So I'm trying to say this with respect. And so I learned a big lesson on do not wait, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was devastating. So I was dealing with that, with all of this, with my birthday coming up and someone who I would want to spend that time with is gone. And so can I give a 30 second dating advice to the well, whole, all, every guy listening? Well, no, well, hold on, because I want to, okay. I'm going to pick your brain. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. So then we did that. And then. Or that, we did the podcast and then that all unravels. And then I do a podcast on get to work and then I unravel. <laughs> and, and then the next week I'm like, I don't know if how much longer I can do this at the level in which I'm doing this. I feel exhausted. I feel not burned out because I don't really blame burnout, but like just exhausted, right? And so like if we could maybe in the first third of this podcast, because I've been talking a lot, how do you not miss the thing right in front of you? How, how, how did I miss it? Yeah, I would say that this is my advice to most single guys. Uh, um, be careful that you don't miss the better thing when you keep looking for the better thing when the better thing is right in front of you. Yeah. It was really, you know. Because I, I think that there is this, one, you have to realize, like, in, in, in ancient times, you didn't have an unlimited number of dating possibilities. And so if you lived in a small village in the countryside of England or Germany, or if you lived in a tribal village in Africa or um, wherever. You're really going there. I am. Okay. Yeah. You had a limited number of people from which your spouse would come from. Right. But now you guys have Instagram and you and can, dating apps and, and you're aware Facebook of, of so TikTok. many people out there and it can create a perception that a girl in Sweden is as real a possibility as a girl in Silver Lake 
or like well, that's frustrating because she's Swedish, so that's also frustrating. Oh, I just picked uh Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> she doesn't live in Sweden. <laughs> down the street from me, I guess. And uh, yeah. I just picked the spot. <laughs> and um and I think a lot of guys miss what's right in front of them because they keep thinking, oh, but what about like this person or tomorrow somebody else is gonna come around and 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 that's where you have to be careful to not fall in love with the idea of people, but to actually see the people around you and to love them for things that actually matter. Yeah. Like, who do you laugh with? Who do you enjoy life with? Who do you, you know, can you talk to endlessly with? Who, you, you know, yeah. and um, dating shouldn't be about how that person makes you look in front of other people. Dating really needs to be about um, the value that of that person in your life and that you bring it to their life when you're together. I think I realized a couple of things, right? Like, I, one, I thank you so much for being so open and kind to me about this. Cause I, I really, you know, I felt like she hadn't told me where she was at. And, and I was really wrong because there was, everything was there. Like the signs right. were but there. Straight up everybody who knew you, her, knew you kept saying, what are you doing? Yeah. Like she's the right person you should be with. And so, you know, and I think like I'm, I'm still or a right person to be with. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and look, I, like the reason I'm talking about it now is because we're you know, we just got the phone. Like we, we sat down a few weeks later and we talked it all out. And we we're like, look, like there's five years of friendship on the line. Like we may not be needing we don't need to talk every day right now. We need, she needs space. I need space. Um, but we're not we're not going to not be kind to each other. So, like, I, I really was grateful for, like, a healing conversation afterwards. But, you know, I even when I was faced with this choice of, you know, I wasn't faced with a choice. I was faced with a, with a realization that I was too late. Mm -hmm. And so with that, how do you – I think I had wrapped my identity also in, like, being public. I'm not a public figure, but I'm more public of a figure than most. And, and I think I had wrapped my identity in being the single guy. And being single, and I, and I and I think it was an unhealthy mentality of like, I didn't want to be some something someone uh, could obtain. And I think it's just it was it was unhealthy. It was an unhealthy mentality. Going there is a beauty in being someone else's and someone else's being yours, but I really struggle sometimes with this like intimacy thing. Yeah, I'm gonna sound really old, but um, marriage is not antiquated or irrelevant, it's hard, but having someone to share your life with is a really amazing and beautiful thing. And um, yeah, dating is fun, but you have to come to a place in your life where the hunt, the thrill of the hunt is replaced with the depth of intimacy and knowing someone. I don't know that I was like, trying to hunt. I think it was more like I was dodging. No, but I see this in a lot of people. I think I see it in you too. No, just speak speak openly. Yeah. When someone likes you, you think there must be something wrong with them because they like you. And I maybe and I think there was like a huge a huge identity issue because I was like I mean I told the person I was like, "Look, I I didn't honestly believe anyone could love me the way you loved me. Like I I just didn't understand how someone could blindly like love me like that. Yeah, and I think that there are a lot of people who are drawn to people who don't like them because it's actually an identity issue. 
you don't believe that you are worthy of love, so you actually choose people who don't actually love you, but use you. And and then when someone, uh, I, I see this in girls all the time too. So it's like they are not interested in guys who are interested in them. They're only interested yeah. in the guys who aren't interested in them or are not good to them. And because the moment that person likes you, you think there's something wrong with them because it's your low self-esteem that actually becomes reflected on their choice of you. Yeah, and so I think like, you know, I'm sure I'm gonna get myself in trouble a little bit with this, but I also think that like processing out loud helps me also, you know, if anyone can learn from my stupidity, God bless them. Go well, my young friend. Godspeed. <laughs> but I, I really do, you know, we were talking about it today. Like, there's always more possibilities. There's always happiness coming. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, I don't know how much I have left in me. Mm -hmm. And you were like, you have so much left in you. So, because it also, I think, applies to work. I took for granted something. And whether she was it or not, there, there, she was someone who deserved more than what I was giving her, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're, now I have the choice to, to choose who I'm going to be now, mm -hmm. right? Am I going to spiral and become destructive, self-destructive? Because the reality is that like, I am an impulsive roller coaster sometimes, a lot of times, you know? And in the last couple of weeks, even with her, it was like, when you're losing something and it's it feels like sand or water, you're trying to like hold water in your hands and it's just there's nothing, it's just gonna fall through. Like there's a panic, there's like a, a an anxiety, there's a a, a heaviness. And right. so But it's a, it's called gambler's remorse and it's a sociological and psychological phenomenon that when people end a relationship, they want that person more than they did when they had the relationship. So you have to realize that some of it is you're processing a, a survival instinct inside of yourself. And that um, really, if you guys were good friends for so many years, and you were, that's probably what was a good space for you. And, and right now you're processing the loss of possibility, not the loss of reality. Yeah, and and that's that's harder sometimes. Like when you when yeah, you look, you say, yeah. I mean, the loss of possibility is I think is incredibly painful because it's like loss of a dream. And and so you, you have to kind of. I think it's really important to end relationships well, but I also think it's important to recognize that there's an end to the relationship. Mm -hmm. And because if it, the reason relationships go bad at the end is because. Um, both parties don't know how to bring them to closure well because one of them doesn't want to accept closure. Yeah. Or they both don't to some degree because they both go through, like, gambler's remorse. Yeah. And I – yeah. I'm processing so much. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's – you know, I, the reason why I talk about it, and some people may think it's weird that I talk about personal life, is that I just genuinely do think there's things that I'm still learning. And so I want people to learn maybe through me sometimes, you know. Um, I would say this, how one thing that I, I don't feel like I give myself is adequate amount of rest to recharge. How does one, when feeling exhausted, feeling burnt out, feeling whether even just like I was telling you, I'm like talking to our, our guys all over Mosaic, just our leaders. It's like I'm dealing now with the fact that I lost 
Mosaic Venice. Like my friends who have met me now don't know that Mosaic Venice happened. Mm -hmm. You know, they're like, what do you mean you were like over a, a thing? I mean, no, there was like 600 people that would come to maybe it's not huge, but like it's big, you know, come to our campus. And like I was kind of the guy, you know, or one of the guys. And I, you know, for me, like I'm, I think I'm able to make really tough. To, I told you, I asked you this. I, I'm trying. I'm going somewhere. I promise. Um, I become addicted to like the crisis. So when I when COVID happened, I made a really, I knew that it was over. Like for a season, I knew Venice wasn't gonna be a thing for a while. Of course, like they're our church, but like we weren't, we met in a school. Yeah, no, I, I met a, <laughs> you know I mean? a, a family came last Sunday to Mosaic here in Hollywood. And, and, that, and this is what made me think about it. And that was so interesting because um, I think I said, oh, I didn't realize this was your campus. They go, it's not. No, the little kid said this. Yeah, well, no, the parents said, oh, the parents, no, the parents. said it's not. Venice is our campus. We belong to Mosaic Venice. And we invited the people who are part of our campus to come today, too. And I realized a year and a half later, their identity still is still Mosaic Venice. No, and it, it's not that mine wasn't. But I think in times of crisis, I'm able to actually make better decisions than in times of, like, calm. See, and I would say that's not true. How? <laughs> because I think I made the shift really quickly. Because I remember I sat down with Carlos and was like, it, look. It, no, you do... You do well when there's crisis, but the problem is that because of that, you have a psychological need to create conflict and crisis so that you can actually do well. <laughs> right. And so you have to be careful because you do have a, a personality structure that, that actually thrives in that chaos. Yeah. But what happens a lot of times is people who have the kind of personality that's in chaos, they end up creating chaos so that they can feel alive. And so it, it, it's a catch-22. But I do feel like I'm having like an identity crisis lately with the fact that things are all going back to being good. Like I sat down with you and, and I, you know, we can cut this out later if we don't want it, but like, I was like, hey, I feel like Mosaic's amazing. I feel like I'm good. Like there's not a purpose for me now. Like, let me move on to the next thing or let me build the next project or like, let me, you know. And I don't know, I don't have a purpose when there's not conflict. No, I like, I hate it. I don't like it, but it's, but it's, you know, I told you, I was like, I like, is it that I like fixing things and I like building things or is it that I like, I need to feel like I'm the one saving things? The healthy thing is you, you like fixing things. The unhealthy thing is you like breaking things so that you can feel like you can fix it. Wait, but what, no, I'm saying, what did I break? Relationships. Yeah, but I'm talking about work now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it transcends, it goes across the board. So um, you have to think through even even with, um, oh, but even like with work, the moment things are going well, you start uh, questioning whether you should even be doing it anymore. Yeah. And so you I don't want the, I don't want the calm. Because you want to break it. You got to find something that's broken that draws your attention. And and then you feel the stress of the broken thing, and it drives you crazy. Do you think it comes from my need to f to fix things, or from my lack of self worth because I don't think I deserve anything that's good? I think it's both. I do. I think that there are a lot of people listening right now who have real struggles with their self worth, and when their life starts going well, they become self destructive. And 
Uh, and I can tell you I had to overcome that in my own life, too. And I, I have to pay attention to that narrative. And, and frankly, it's one of the reasons I like being around people who have accomplished a lot more than me, because it gives me a, a better ratio of perspective. And because when, if I'm around people who maybe haven't accomplished this much or haven't been as successful or, or maybe haven't created as, as much um, as I have, I feel overwhelmingly guilty that I have more than I should have or deserve, or, and I become self-destructive. But when I put myself around people who are much more successful yeah. and, and much more actualized or, uh, or even just more, much more um, um, creative, I go, oh, wow, I have so much more I could accomplish. And, and so there is a way of creating a healthy psychological posture, even when you um, don't feel like you deserve what, what you actually do. And so you actually do deserve to be loved. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to um, be fulfilled. You deserve to have um, meaningful relationships in your life. And, and that's what I would say to everyone who's listening is sometimes your worst enemy is yourself. Mm-hmm. And when things are going well, you make choices to make sure things don't go well. And you need to step back and evaluate that and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Am I creating the crises or am I stepping into the crises? Yeah. Like you had nothing to do with the fact that you, your car got back-ended and then a few weeks later the other car gets trashed and, you know, sideswiped. And you, you had nothing to do with that, but you have everything to do with how you respond to that. And, yeah. and how you let it affect your emotional well-being. Yeah. And so uh, one person go, my life is falling apart, and I just, I give up. Another person go, wow, another challenge to overcome. I mean, I always think I was a little bit of, I don't think I was like, I don't think I broke down. I think I broke no. down before we started filming this podcast, being like, this was a really <laughs> hard month and a half for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think it's, like, it's okay to say. Because even then, like, I, you know, like, I don't know. Like a, we put an, I put an offer on a house because you were helping me, and oh. I knew how many houses have you put offers on? I've probably seen over 150 houses, and I've probably put offers on like 50, like 12 houses, maybe 10, 12. Yeah, last like couple of months. Mm-hmm. And because like, I get, you know, at the point now in LA, it's like rent is absolutely insane. It's cheaper to like find a house and then fill it with roommates. And, yeah, and I, to, you know what I mean to actually be an owner versus a renter. I just had a saw an article that said a terrible time to buy in LA and even worse time to rent. Yeah, and so like you know. Not even can you know ten. Those are just offers to buy. Like, how many times I haven't been able to rent a place because you've been rejected by a lot of houses by renters, <laughs> se- sellers. I mean, I, I, it's true. You can't even I find can't a place, even find a place to rent. rent. Like, and so it. Like, I'm at this place now where I'm like, okay, not. Like, I'm not trying to be down on me, but I'm going like, how it, it starts. I start to ask these questions. Like, do I even belong here if there's no place for me? Mm-hmm. Do I, you know, do I need to just go and is my maybe is my like function in life to go and fix things that maybe are broken or need help? Am I like just reinforcement to something else? Like, you know, we're having this conversation, like Mariah is really structured and really built for like, like, like she came into the podcast and she's like, she had plans. <laughs> she had notes. I come to this podcast and I have emotions. <laughs> and, and I have, and I have like, and, and, and I am like, I am logical to some degree, but it's filled with a lot of intensity, a lot of emotion. And so, there is like a, I have a, a forward motion, but I don't know if I necessarily have like um, always a, a plan on how I'm going to get there. I just, I told you, like I scramble. It's like, I just, we just figure it out. Um, how, how do you find not just your purpose, but how do you remember your purpose when it feels like all is lost? 
or that you're or that you're not as needed anymore. Yeah, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Because I said to you, I was like, like you know, in Venice, I was the guy. I was like one and a half of the guy, and now I'm like you know middle management. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and like, and I think I think it's okay to talk about this stuff. I think one, I think all the churches who don't talk about this stuff is like it's just you know I don't know. If CEOs at other companies can talk about this stuff, we should be able to talk about this stuff. Like, it's it's hard to like find your place on a team. Well, most of the teams are your team, so. <laughs> so if I feel this way, I can't imagine how Austin feels or Brooke feels or you, or you feel. You know, I even said to you, I was like, is it incredibly lonely being the guy, you know? Well, one of the things you that's interesting. You don't want to talk about any of that, do you? No, I just, when you use the phrase middle management, it's always used in such a derogatory term. And I'm like, uh, people who are, quote, in middle management, who live their life with meaning and intention and come to bring their best work they're probably happier than the person in, quote, upper management. <laughs> and uh, it, it's not where you are in the management system that um, determines your happiness or fulfillment or value. It really is all internal. And when you think your job is making you unhappy, it's not your job that's making you unhappy. You are unhappy and you have a job. And, yeah. and, and you're blaming your job because it's a great canvas to, uh, from which to throw all the blame of your unhappiness. And, it, you know, I could be terribly unhappy um, leading Mosaic or I could be incredibly happy leading Mosaic. It's really up to me. Right. I just think that we have much more personal choice and much more personal power in the dynamic of our happiness and unhappiness. And, and so here's a, just a couple, like, I, tips I always try to remember is never make a life-altering decision when you're an emotional pain okay you know when when you feel uncertain or in, or in chaos or in crisis or in you know um when when you're in a bad moment you'll only make bad decisions like i always when i go through a situation like this with with someone i care about or dating i always want to quit everything and run every single time every time and and but we have had the conversation of my role i my my role needs to shift before, because you'd make me, if I want to make a big decision, you make me have it on good days and bad days. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you can make hard decisions on good days. You can even make wrong decisions when you're having a good day. Yeah. And But I but it's almost impossible to make a right decision when you're not in a good place. Right. And because it, you, you... So how, what do you do? How do you set like a ch checks and balance system for like when you have a bad day and you have to make a big decision, what do you do? Well, one thing is I remind myself how hard I worked to create what I'm in right now. And because when I want to throw it all away, I'm like, I just, I worked 30 years to get to this, to build this. So I'm not going to throw it away on a bad day. And I feel like I've put in you eight. Know? You have. You put a lot of years in and eight, worked really, really know, hard. They're not 30. Yeah. I got to be a part of probably the most, you know, I, I came like right when it was from going from the most successful he probably was ever was to like, then I probably like heard it a lot to then, I think we got to a really strong place and then COVID happened mm -hmm. and now we're in a rebuilding phase. I think you're feeling what a lot of people are feeling because they're in the next transition. You know, the, the transition into quarantine was really hard for people. Uh, the, the journey through quarantine was brutal for people. I think this transition is proving to be harder than the first one. And because the first one was the government taking everything away from you in terms of personal freedoms. You, yeah, like not being able to go out. Not, like all the restrictions happened. Yeah, all the restrictions happened. And um, 
And so you had an external force saying, you can't go to restaurants, you can't go to sporting events, you have to stay in your house, you have to stay locked down, you can't be around friends, you can't even be around family. Right. You can't go to funerals, you can't go to weddings. So you, we lost a lot of things. And that sense of loss is, is catastrophic, but it's predictable. Yeah. What's happening now is now people are in transition. You, you can get a job, but you know, um, do you really want that job? Um, you were working from home, but now you don't want to go back into the office. Um, in terms of even like church life, some people who are um, super relational extroverts are going, finally, we get everybody back together. Yeah. And then there's also what people don't realize is, oh, no, um, no more filtering all the crazy people who are going to be walking into Hollywood because I, there's yeah. a lot of crazy people who come here. I mean, and I sat down with you and I said, I said, was it so bad the way things were? <laughs> right. So, so now it's the crisis of uncertainty. Before it was lost with certainty. And now it's, quote, gain with uncertainty. And I think people are having a more traumatic time re-engaging into life. And, and, it's, and it's a whole spectrum. There are still people who su are super afraid of COVID yeah. and super afraid of getting sick. And, um, and so I, I see some, a few people here are still wearing masks even when they don't have to. Yeah. Uh, there are people who are terrified of not regaining what was lost yeah. for them. By the way, more people made money during the quarantine than than lost money in uh, in terms of the business sector. It's kind of extraordinary. I think I saw something like seventy five percent of Americans actually were doing better. Yeah, which kind of caught me uh, by surprise. It's crazy, you know. Yeah, and um, and so it's not that people are simply in a financial crisis; they're actually in a psychological crisis. Yeah, and a lot of people don't want to go back to work. They they they. They like the world that had, was created for them and, uh, and, and aren't really ready to run back out. So I think a part of what you're going through is, is the but transition. I, you think I don't want to work, though? You are a workaholic. That's the problem. Yeah, no, but I think what's happened is that you kind of, you loved, you rose up during the rule change because now we're, we were a television and film studio. Yeah. And, and running and creating a television and film studio uh, working as a creative director in that world, it was just right in your sweet spot. Okay. Even with the gallery, with the, the filming of the messages, everything. Right. Going back into this dynamic of live community, live worship, that's less a spot that you um, find a great deal of energy and result from. Although you love worship and you love being in the space. And, I do. I, and, do lo I love... But the work of every single week doing live production can be such a grind. It's 52 weeks. Okay, it's 52 People don't weeks. realize the amount of work it takes to do that every single week. No, I, think, I think just in Venice, I spoke 30 times before, in, I think 30, 30 or 40 times in, in, in 2019. And then I think I had spoken 15 times before COVID happened. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you speak an incredible amount. But for me, that was a huge jump. Yeah, and for most people, from, it takes between twenty to thirty hours of preparation, yeah. both uh, both in studying and in like psychological and spiritual preparation for a message. So people don't realize it just starts taking an immense amount of energy from your life. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, with that said, yeah. I hope well, I think we're I think we're talking about good things. Yeah, no, no. I, I think I think what really the point of this is is 
if you're listening right now and you think, I should be happier because the world is opening up, but I feel more stress, you're not alone. I think people are actually really struggling with mental health. I think people are really struggling with reacclimation to what used to be normal and even knowing how to relate to people. And I think the perfect example is on the same street on Largemont. We have Pete's and we have Go Get Them. Oh, my gosh. Two coffee shops. And um, not even talking about the quality of coffee. Yeah, in Pete's, you can walk in without a mask on and everybody's oh. sitting inside and, and talking and eating food. There's people outside and tables sitting and eating and talking. You go to Go Get Them, uh, there's a sign that says, even if you're vaccinated, you must wear a mask. And you can't go inside except to order, and then you get your food and drinks. You have to leave. Immediately. Immediately. And, and I think that's the contrast of the world we on the same street. On the same street. Yeah. Also, can we talk about demographics of Pete's and Go Get Them? Sure. Go Get Them's probably like an under 40s spot. Yeah, very and Pete's much. Pete's probably like a, a over 30, 40. Over 40. Yeah. Like, like the people sitting up front, they're in their 50s and 60s. Yep. It's like a hub. Like all of the f- old film guys in the neighborhood chill and hang out you know like huge actors are just chilling and hanging out every day of the week they don't care they don't wear masks and you got go get them and it's like all these young kids they're like 25 26 who are, 22 who are yeah terrified yeah and i'm like i don't understand because you know i was probably more nervous for covid for you than you were for yourself mm-hmm. and i think that was the case with a lot of people obviously it was real obviously people were really sick so like it's not it's not even it's not that it's it is now become a fear thing. Like, how do we manage fear? We've talked about it so many times, but I do see it. Like, I, I see people coming around back into society, and there is, like, a sadness. There is, like, a heaviness. Because, you know, even with, like, the freedom of, you know, whether it's Saturdays and Sundays or, you know, not going to church or being around, there is something that's shifted in us, and now it feels like we're having to go back, and now we're sad. And I don't know why people are sad. I'm still figuring that out. But you see it on people's faces. You can you can feel yeah. it. Yeah, and, and people are responding in such different ways. I met this one couple. Um, they met online during COVID. Okay. They dated, went on one date, um, dated a couple of weeks, got engaged. Oh, whoa. A couple of months later, they got married. Oh, Now they're married. And they're really happy. And, um, oh, interesting. And so there's Did some I people. people? Um, yes, he... he um, He's pretty pretty well known. I'm oh, not going to. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and, uh, I don't want to say his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but uh, um, I just met another couple. Same thing. Met a third couple. Same thing. So I think a lot of people during COVID quarantine decided, if this is what the world's going to be like, I'm not going to do it alone. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to get married fast. And and I saw some people really move fast toward getting married. And and then there are other people who did the exact opposite. Yeah. And if this is what the world's like, um, I'm going to be more cautious and careful about relationships and it's going to take me longer. <sighs> and we need to recognize that this is not a normal moment and that people have never been prepared for this. You, you were not trained by your parents, by your schools. I don't care how many degrees you have, you were not trained to handle a pandemic and come out of it. Hmm. The psychological dynamics that are involved in this are new to everyone. And so you just have to recognize that there are some people who are more inherently resilient and have internal structures that help them overcome these things. And they become more obvious. And there are others 
who aren't as resilient and the level of the pressure cooker of this moment has a greater um, impact on them. They would have never looked weak in a different situation, but in this situation, the cracks kind of become more clear. Okay, so we're we're gonna we're gonna one. I'm really grateful that one you were able to just. I mean, you always were able to speak into my life, but like it, just taking the conversation we just had in the car in the last couple of weeks to then able to like break some of it down in a respectful, I think, healthy way of you know being in a relationship or how to be in a relationship or how to not miss a relationship to like also not you know, how to not miss out on rest and how to not miss out on like being the best at work. And, and I think for a lot of young people and old people, all people, we're in just one of the craziest eras in history mm-hmm. because I think the definition of work is really like adjusting, you know, every time you look at social media for us, cause I think we're in a, a pretty liberal, like open young city, it's, you know, fair wages and minimum wage, you can't pay rent. And, and I'm like, there's yeah I, I agree with it like if you have minimum wage and you work full-time you probably can't live in LA yeah you know like I have we have so many projects that we do and I still can't live in LA <laughs> so you know there there's I, I think there's a lot of truth in it but I do think there's also this this kind of thing like I was walking in Seattle this last couple of days and I kid you not almost every building every corner every street had a sign now hiring if you work uh, if, if you need work, call us. A thousand dollars signing bonus to be a cook, like at a pizza spot. Like mm. if you'll work, we'll give you a thousand dollars. Like I, I heard someone was telling me that they're paying chefs fifty dollars and like not even chefs, like chef, not chefs, like cooks, like guys in the kitchen, fifty dollars an hour just to cook at restaurants because no one wants to work. Because because it was so bad in Seattle. Like COVID was also really bad there, but also the you know everything from the riots, the protests, it was so dangerous. People don't want to go back into the city. Yeah. So we, we are watching the world change right before our eyes. And so how do we adapt? How do we persevere, create resilience, and also create like this ability to go back into the next phase of life even better than the last one, you know? Yeah, it's, it's so true. And um, even when you mentioned like minimum wage, I was doing this math in my head. If you minimally got paid $25 an hour and you worked 40 hours a week, you'd make $50,000 a year, 52, something in there. Um, which is a salary that would not allow you to live in LA or San Francisco or Seattle or New York or Chicago. And or so Miami. Yeah, Miami. Dallas, so yeah. what's interesting is that even if you made minimum wage an astronomical amount of money in comparison to where it is now, it's not really that much money to work as a cook in downtown Seattle. Right. And that's a challenge that the culture is going to have right now. That our economic challenge as a country is going to be that the prices are going up in cities, but the bottom scale income is not going up enough. Right. And yeah, but anyway, I, I, I think the bigger issues are what you were talking about, that people are trying to figure out how they want to face life right now yeah. and who they want to become. And, and, and right now, I think we have this um, uh, like turtle mentality. We're just our heads in our shell. And we're just hoping the world will go away yeah. if we don't peek our head out and look around. And the world, the future is coming. The world is coming. The world is opening up. You got to get out there, and it's better to risk and fail, and uh, and give it a you know give it a shot than to live in fear and be paralyzed. Okay. 
Thank you so much for this episode. Thank you for just speaking into everything. If you're listening, we just want to say thank you. Um, thank you to every single person who's watching this on YouTube, listening on Apple, uh, listening on Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We are so grateful for you. We just want to say a shout out and a thank you to every single person who supports this podcast on Anchor. Um, in our link in our bio, there's 140 people that kind of support this podcast each and every month. And we are so, so grateful for you. If you're interested in doing it, click the link in the bio, no pressure at all, but here's a little bit of pressure. I want you to feel a little bit of pressure to go to Apple and rate and review this. It was my birthday last week. Give me a birthday gift. (laughs) It it costs you nothing. Go to Apple, write a, uh, rate us, um, give us five stars, write a little review of what you think of the podcast. Um, go to our YouTube channel, which is the link in the bio, and it says, you know, subscribe to the new YouTube channel. We have moved. For the longest time, we are on Mosaics. Battle Ready turned 18 and got kicked out of the house. Now we are here. We have our own home. Kind of. So go to our YouTube channel, subscribe, and there we're going to start dropping uh, a few little select things. So uh, we'll see you there soon. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys.